Good evening. Today is July 9th, 2023, and we are studying the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. This week's chapter, chapter two, and the step is step one. And our speaker tonight is Amy A.G. Thank you, Amy. Take it away. Thank you all. Um, I'm a little nervous, but so bear with me. Um, but my name is Amy A.G. and I'm a compulsive overeater. I am going to qualify here for a little bit. I have always been overweight. Uh, back to, you know, when I can remember my body, I always was bigger than other people around me. Um, <clears throat> I remember being in my mom's classroom at around age 10 and another teacher's kids came in with clothes for me as hand-me-downs. And since they were a couple of years older than me, they asked why their clothes would fit me. And my mom said, well, Amy still has some baby fat to lose. And I said, I think Amy just has some fat to lose. Um, so then that progressed to being a teenager. I always felt too big and too in the way. And I couldn't do the normal teenager things because I was too big for the trendy clothes. And I was too ashamed of my body to like go to the pool with my friends and hang out with them. So due to my own choices, I got left out of a lot of fun. I swallowed my personality so as to not upset anyone so that I would be likable because if people like you, then you're safe, uh, safe from criticism and teasing. And that was really, really important. And though I had a good friend group and they loved me and I loved them, they still kept trying to find out how much I weighed because I was so much bigger than them. In the teenage years, I managed to lose weight several times, but could, of course, never keep it off. I got married when I was 20, and I probably weighed between 220 and 250 pounds by that time. Um, I started gaining weight steadily because I was unhappy in my marriage and because I'm a compulsive overeater. I remember binging on chips a lot. I can take out an entire bag of chips. Um, even in a family-sized bag, without even noticing what I'm doing, um, especially while watching TV, or especially when wanting to stuff down an uncomfortable emotion. Um, I would also go to multiple fast food joints when I was feeling overwhelmed and unhappy. I would get a burger there, some chicken nuggets here, fries at this other place, dessert at this other place. And that way, the shame of getting all that food would be spread out over several places because the drive through people wouldn't know how much food I really had planned to eat because that really mattered in the grand scheme of things. Um, I probably, like everyone else here, have managed at certain times in my life to stay away from my alcoholic foods for a time and lose weight. I went to pay in ways and lost weight, but I would only gain it back again. I went on the keto diet and lost very quickly, only to gain it right back just as quickly when I went off the diet. I thought that the fact that I could lose weight meant that I wasn't a compulsive overeater, that I was just short on willpower and needed to figure out how to bolster that to lose weight. But the point is that if I look back at the times that I was able to eat only one cookie or only a few chips or was able to stay away from my binge foods for a little while, those times didn't happen very often as compared to all the other times when I ate whole sleeves of cookies, whole bags of chips, boxes of binge foods. Normal eaters don't eat like that. And I could stay away from the alcoholic foods less and less as time went on as I got older, which demonstrates the progressive nature of the disease. I remember one of my former bosses who was overweight himself 
and had a wife that was roughly the same size as I was. And I was about 375 pounds by this time. Kept making her, 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 we're all fatties together jokes with me. Um, I wrote to my friend that I couldn't decide whether or not I should be offended. And she said, you should be offended. And I thought, well, I am offended. But the truth is that I was morbidly obese and I couldn't hide that fact from myself. So what was the point in being offended? So I gave up any pretense of losing weight or trying to be healthier. I just figured this is who I am. I'm big boned. I'm overweight. This is who I'm going to be. There's no use fighting it. Um, in September of 2020, I learned that an old friend was dying of alcoholism. His daughter is the same age as mine, and we, they were in high school at the time. And I was so upset for his daughter, thinking about her not having her father around for her big milestones like graduations and weddings, that I finally realized I was doing the same thing to myself by killing myself on the installment plan. I did realize then that a lot of my binges had at the heart of them a desire to hurt myself for whatever reason, because I was mad at myself for making a mistake, or I couldn't control someone else's behavior, a lot of times my daughter's, or simply because I hated myself and I hated my body. I had been to a couple of OA meetings a couple of years before, but I didn't really get it. Nobody was available for sponsorship. There was no real explanation. There were no um, directions to newcomer literature. And, and so I, I just kind of stopped going. Um, but I had it, my, uh, my therapist urging gotten the big book and I at least had read the first parts of it because in September of 2020, I had walked, I walked around for a week repeating to myself, allergy of the body, allergy of the body until it finally penetrated my noggin that my reaction to sugar is very different from other people's reactions. So I decided I needed to go off sugar. So I did for about a week. And then I got really, really angry at a coworker. And I remember going across the street to the convenience store, buying a bunch of sugar, taking it back to my desk and just shoving it in my mouth. I don't even really recall tasting it. I just was shoving it into my mouth to tamp down the anger so I wouldn't have to feel it. And then my friend died the next day. And that was my impetus um, to get into program. So I got a sponsor and I did what she told me to do, not without a couple of relapses or slips here and there. And this past uh, weekend, I celebrated my first full year of abstinence. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so now on to chapter two in the big book, there is a solution. This is actually my favorite chapter in the big book because it really gets into what an addict is and how we react differently from other people and, and that there's hope for us. Um, page 13, page 17, the third paragraph says that the tremendous fact for every one of us alcoholics is that we have discovered a common solution. We have a way out on which we can absolutely agree and upon which we can join in brotherly and harmonious action. This is the great news this book carries to those who suffer from alcoholism or for us overeating. So we've found a way out. We found a way to recover, like the big book says, and that recovery places us in a state of neutrality around food. We neither want our alcoholic foods nor are actively resisting their temptation as long as we keep in fit spiritual condition. But fit spiritual condition is the key, and we'll, I'll come back to that later on. 
The big book calls alcoholism and compulsive overeating an illness, one that involves other people in a way no other human sickness can. When we're in the food, we cause harm to those around us, even when we're not meaning to. We yell at our kids and at our spouses. We are resentful and rude to our coworkers. And we even lie and cheat and steal for our fix. Before I came into program, I had to apologize practically every day to my daughter for something I did or said when I was hangry. And I had a lot of amends to make to her once I got to my ninth step. Um, both for things that I had done to her uh, by yelling at her or, or you know, smacking something out of her hand or something and, and for teaching her the wrong way to live. Um, on page 18, the big book says that addicts are reluctant to open up about their disease to friends or family or even doctors or psychiatrists like neutral medical professionals. But who among us wouldn't be? We often have no explanations for our weird behavior, and we couldn't explain why we can't stop eating to someone who doesn't have the disease. We're afraid we'll just hear those platitudes again. Why can't you eat just one? How about you only have it a couple days of the week? Try intuitive eating. It worked for me. They don't understand that there is no just one. But Another compulsive overeater can share their story and establish an understanding because we do know what it's like to eat a certain food and want and want more and more and more without ever being satisfied, while at the same time hating ourselves for being weak-willed and out of control. On page 20, it goes into more of what we have heard before many, many times. I can take it or leave it alone. Why can't you? Why don't you just try an organic diet? That could work. He could stop if he wanted to. She's such a sweet girl. I should think he'd stop for her sake. The doctor told her he, she was diabetic and she could lose her limbs or her sight if she didn't stop. But there she is stuffing her face again. His willpower must be weak. That's what I thought of myself for over 40 years, that my willpower must be weak. But the big book says that behind these statements is a world of ignorance and misunderstanding. These expressions refer to people whose reactions to certain foods, especially for me, sugar and flour, are very different from ours. Ten minutes. Thank you. For example, moderate eaters have little trouble in giving up certain foods if there's good enough reason for it. It may cause a twinge of regret, but for the most part, they can take it or leave it alone. For example, my brother figured out he was lactose intolerant, so he cut out milk and cheese. It didn't really give him any trouble to think that he'd never be able to have those foods again. He would rather not suffer the consequences of having lactose than to deal with the consequences if he did. And here I'd like to draw a comparison. I lived and continue to live with the consequences of my overeating because I'm diabetic and I always will be. But I couldn't bring the consequences into sufficient focus at the time, to stop my compulsive eating when I was doing it. Then we have the hard eater, the big book explains. He may overeat or restrict or become bulimic or exercise bulimic, enough to damage his body physically and his mind mentally. His excesses may cause him to die a few years before his time. But if a sufficiently strong reason comes into play, this man also can stop or moderate, although he may find it difficult or troublesome and may need medical attention. I had a friend in my 20s that was obese and had finally decided he was tired of it. He wanted to date and he wanted to go to medical school and he didn't believe he could do those things with the extra weight on. So he determined to get it off. He went on a diet assisted by medical personnel and he lost over 100 pounds. 
He has since gone back to eating the things that made him overweight in the first place, but he only eats them in moderation now. He needed assistance to change the way he ate, but he doesn't experience the allergy like I do. Now, about 20 years later, he's still at a healthy and normal weight and a doctor, by the way. The real compulsive overeater may start off as a moderate or heavy eater, but at some stage of our lives, we begin to lose all control over food consumption once I ingest certain foods. I know that I, as a compulsive overeater, don't really feel full until I'm overfull. My body just does not have that shutoff switch until my stomach is distended and I'm uncomfortable. And even then, if I'm intent on avoiding an uncomfortable emotion, I will ignore that too full feeling or that nauseous feeling that I'm overfull, and I will keep eating just to tamp down the emotions because that's all I knew how to do. The big book tells us that alcoholics and compulsive eaters are often perfectly sensible and well-balanced concerning everything except food. But in that respect, the compulsive overeater is incredibly dishonest and selfish. I was happy to read that for the first time because if I looked over things, I really did seem to have good self-control when it came to practically anything else besides food. And it was helpful to me to see the dichotomy there. When it came to sugar and flour, I had no self-control whatsoever. And though I wouldn't overeat when I was out with people, I would come home and binge or even not be able to wait until I got home, stopping at a fast food place on the way home to fill the hole. This was most often after I had just eaten out with friends. I needed to eat more just to keep myself sane. On page 22, it tells us that while the alcoholic keeps away from drink, he reacts much like other men. It goes on to say that we are equally positive that once he takes any alcohol, whatever, into his system, something happens, both in the bodily and mental sense, which makes it virtually impossible for him to stop. These observations would be academic and pointless if our friend never took the first drink, thereby setting the terrible cycle in motion. And therefore, the main problem of the alcoholic centers in his mind rather than in his body. On page 24, it says, the fact is that most alcoholics, for reasons yet obscure, have lost the power of choice in drink. Our so-called willpower becomes practically non-existent. We are unable at certain times to bring into our consciousness with sufficient force the memory of the suffering and humiliation of even a week or a month ago. We are without defense against the first drink. I remember binging one time, thinking to myself, I need to stop. Please stop. Why can't I stop? And I know that this behavior is why that airline personnel said to me, I'm really sure the person you're sitting next to will be really thrilled and comfortable, but I still couldn't stop. And that memory of that embarrassing airline employee was dull and muted and kind of wrapped in cotton, not hot and embarrassing and in your face like it is when I'm not in the food. I couldn't bring the memory to the fore. Um, and I was on a meeting one time where a fellow said it so succinctly and eloquently. Once I took the first compulsive bite, there my choices stopped. Five minutes. It really hit me. Thank you, Rich. It really hit me because it's my truth. Once I choose the first alcoholic bite, everything else from then on is prescribed. The allergy of the body and the twist of the mind kicks in and I start bargaining with disease, saying this is how I'll be able to stop this time. I'll only eat sugar when I'm out with people. I'll only eat it on the weekend. I'll only have this one cookie and then I'll jump back on the wagon. But it won't happen 
After that first bite, my choices are non-existent. I will want more and more and the wanting won't stop and I won't be able to stop. So now we come to the crux of this chapter, there is a solution. And here is where we bring up the spiritual fitness I mentioned earlier. The big book says almost none of us like the solution, the self-searching, the leveling of our pride, the confession of shortcomings, which the process requires for its successful consummation. But we saw that it really worked in others, and we had come to believe in the hopelessness and futility of life as we had been living it. The great fact is just this and nothing less, that we have had deep and effective spiritual experiences which have revolutionized our whole attitude toward life, toward our fellows, and God's universe. The central fact of our lives today is the absolute certainty that our Creator has entered into our hearts and lives in a way which is indeed miraculous. He has commenced to accomplish those things for us, which we could never do by ourselves. If you are a serious compulsive overeater, we believe there is no middle of the road solution. We were in a position where life was becoming impossible and we had passed into the region from which there is no return through human aid. So we had but two alternatives. One was to go on to the bitter end, blotting out the consciousness of our intolerable situation as best we could. And the other was to accept spiritual help. I've been in the food and in intolerable situations, most of my own creation. I contemplated suicide, I contemplated uh, using drugs to numb out, and I even hurt myself physically a couple of times. But when I found this program and saw in others how it really worked, I decided to accept spiritual help, or at least try to. I mean, I tried everything else. I tried every diet under the sun. Why not try the God angle? So here's your choose your own concept thought. I came into program with a God from my childhood who was omniscient, but also a little punitive. And I found out through journaling, journaling early on that I was afraid to trust that God. So I had to search around for a personality that I could trust unconditionally because I have an issue with trust. And I came up with my teddy bear that I've had since I was three years old. I, when I was a child, imbued her with certain characteristics, like that she would protect me from anything. She loved me better than anybody else. And she was all powerful. So that's what I wanted in my higher power. So I built up my higher power from her personality. And now my higher power, who I call higher power because the word God also has a certain connotation for me, is a motherly figure. She wears blue robes and has blonde curly hair. And when I go to her in meditation, no matter what posture I sort of start in, and a lot of times it's like clinging to her arm like a child that's afraid, um, she usually ends up taking my hand and, and saying, you know, come on, walk with me. Let's, let's just go on this journey together. Um, so I've done what I've been told to do by my sponsor and tried to be entirely honest with my food. I've gotten more honest with myself and with my food as time has gone by and gotten closer to higher power. Over the past two and a half years, I've lost over 180 pounds and I'm now able to spend 12 hours on my feet for days in a row as I transition into my new career in healthcare. I'm very grateful for my body being able to do these things now it can do because there's no way it could have done that when I was almost 400 pounds. I pray and meditate every day and stay close to high, my higher power because she's the only thing keeping me from the food. I can't do it by myself. And I often ask her to take my craving away when I see something that triggers me like a commercial or something. And she absolutely does that. I also try to do some form of service every day because the big book says that our very lives as ex-compulsive eaters depend upon our constant thought of others and how we may help meet their needs. 
Thought of others and service to my fellows also helps me to get out of my own head and my own needs, recognizing and being grateful for the blessings that higher power has given me. The biggest one being this program and the way of life. So I am thankful for the solution and I am happy to share it with others. And um, thank you for letting me share. I pass. Thank, thank you. you, Amy. That was wonderful. Thank you thank for sharing you. your miraculous journey with us. And it is a miracle. It is. Thank you. Okay. We will now open the meeting for questions or three-minute shares. As this is a big book study, sharing and questions should be relate specifically to the chapter and the step being studied this week. We ask you to accept this guideline in order to keep the meeting on track. If you'd like to share or ask a question, please raise your virtual hand, which is under the reactions or star nine, if you are on the phone. And the Zoom host will call the, I will call the raised hands in order and ask you to unmute when it's your turn. Uh, would the timekeeper please set a timer for three minutes for each share and announce when the time is up? If the speakers ask a question, please allow three minutes for the answer. And I will go ahead and call out the names as I see them on my screen. And first hand up is Meredith. Go ahead, Meredith. Thank you, Sally. Thanks for your service. Thank you, Amy. Good night. That was so jam-packed and incredible. Wow. Um, you know, I was just um, working with a sponsee on this very chapter right before this meeting. And um, just the way you laid it out, the different types of eaters, um, and I was thinking how I couldn't, um, it's so hard for me to fathom somebody going to a doctor and being told, you need to lose about 40 pounds or you're going to get diabetes or whatever. And then being able to leave there and actually lose the weight and keep it off. Like that story you told about your friend who's a doctor now. I mean, I have to admit that I make an assumption when I see someone, you know, that large, that they're a compulsive overeater, just goes to show me that I don't know. I don't know everything. Um, <clears throat> let me see what else. Um, um, some of you may get a kick out of this. Some of you may not know what the hell I'm talking about, but when you talked about your teddy bear, um, I have a friend, childhood friend, and we were talking recently about some horrendous abuse that she endured. And her comfort was Mrs. Beasley from A Family Affair. <laughs> oh my gosh, that was just like, she just told that to me recently. Um, unable to stop. Yeah. Uh, um, a fellow years ago described that as, um, she said, sometimes I feel like a passenger in my own body. And just the way you described it tonight, it was so real. Um, and all the more, I don't know, like, cause I need to be convinced, I think every day. So thank you. Wow. For really 
hitting it out of the park. That was that was really fantastic. Thank you, Amy. Thank you, Meredith. Next up, Amy B. Hi, uh, Amy B. Compulsive Overeater, living very gratefully in a recovered state today, uh, recovered from food. Um, uh, thank you, uh, Sally. Thank you, Lisa, for doing service. Thank you, Rich, for timing everyone for being here um, tonight. It's just so good to see everybody, um, especially on a Monday. Uh, and Amy, that was that was spectacular. What a beautiful job carrying the message. You took such care. Thank you for taking such care to connect your personal story to the words in this book, in this chapter, which is exactly what it says in this chapter is, is, is how this solution works on the bottom of uh, 18 when the um, ex problem addict who has found this solution, um, who is probably armed with facts about themselves um, can generally win the entire confidence of another addict in a few hours by connecting our personal story to this greater solution. Um, Thank you for sharing how you chose your own conception of your higher power and how you engage with that conception. Also very personal and an example of how this program works. You are an embodiment of a miracle, like proof that there is a solution And that there is nothing, there is nothing um, that we cannot do together with a higher power, with our community and our collective and our shared solution. I am so grateful I was here tonight to connect. Thanks everybody for being here tonight. I pass. Thank you, Amy B. Lisa C. Hi, family. My name is Lisa, and I am a compulsive overeater. That was just, yeah, Amy, I'm going to, it was just marvelous. Um, the thing that really connected with me is I love the way you went through all the different types of out compulsive overeaters, personalized it, and shared another example as opposed to the alcoholic example. Um, it made it more real to me. And, um, <clears throat> you know, when you talked about once I take that first compulsive bite, I lose all choices. And, you know, I, I had nine months and I taught, I, I fed myself all the lies, you know, one piece of chocolate, be okay. You know, I went right down the line and I didn't even, you know, I didn't even fight it. And I picked it up and it had certainly gotten a lot worse. Um, than when I had, you know, than before. I saw the progression of the disease. <laughs> like, you know, I used to have some form of control and I had no control once I picked up that bite. Um, and I did, I lost all choices. You know, luckily 
I stuck with my high, higher power. I stuck with my sponsor and the group and I didn't run away and I didn't, you know, put on the guilt and I was able to stay. And now I've got a little over a hundred days, which, which is amazing to me, you know? Um, and, and it is, it's about, you know, I have to be in contact with other compulsive overeaters, reaching out in service and reaching out. And, you know, that's been, that has been such a um, dynamic part of my recovery this week is, is staying in service, staying in gratitude, um, staying in the circle and triangles I have from another program. And if I stay, you know, the love of my higher power is going to keep me from that, you know, is going to stand between me and that next bite. And the love of my higher power show comes through all the people that I go to meetings with, my sponsor, my friends, all the outreach calls that I do. My higher power is all around. Besides also, you know, that, you know, that the big book talks about that fundamental got personal higher power inside of me. I believe my higher power resides in me. Um, you know, it, just thank you. It made it really alive for me and I really appreciated your share. Thank you, Lisa. CJ. Hi everybody, CJ is still a compulsive reader. Um, thank you everyone for your service. Uh, in this meeting, and um, Amy G, Amy A G, as a as a fellow who also gets nervous about sharing, <laughs> well done. Um, way to uh, way to live the part of this Renny prayer about the courage um, to change the things I can, the courage to to get out there mm -hmm. and be of service and share yourself. Um, it was beautifully done. It was a clear, honest. I wrote this down as. A, um, especially with sponsees who are new to understanding um, what uh, powerlessness means. And I, I kind of write down different talks that I would be, this is a good one um, to share with folks. And I am, I am writing this one down. Thank you for that. Um, it was a, it was a beautiful walk through what makes us the 10%, what makes us um, addicts and, um, and very honest, very clear, uh, I related so much to it. I especially, um, and thank you so much for um, the sharing of your higher power. I'm I'm in this, I'm going through the steps again, um, having this new, new working through of what powerless, powerlessness means, uh, no choice, uh, not having power within myself, needing a power outside of myself. Uh, but also re-looking at who my higher power is to me, which has been a, um, it's been a bit of a tough, because uh, because it's a, it's going to, it's a bigger shift for me than I had before in the past couple of years. And it reminded me of, I had a purple cat, a purple stuffed cat that um, had the same, that I had the same love from. And it was just such a beautiful expression of a higher power that's really helping me um, reframe that. So, so thank you. Um, I just love hearing from other people who their higher power is or what their higher power is. And, um, and it, it inspired me to, to look at mine, um, in the way that I've been trying to. So thanks for that. And I will pass. Love you all.
Oh, did you call on me? I'm so sorry. I'm Lacey. I'm a recovered compulsive right. overeater. Um, gosh, that was so powerful, Amy. And thank you for everyone who's doing service. I did not plan to come to this meeting. I was out to dinner and um, I've already listened to a meeting today and met with um, a sponsee and I was at dinner and I had a food thought and it, um, I get so angry when that happens. Like I want to never have another food thought or mental twist. Of course, we all want to never have another food thought or mental, you know, like that's not real life. And so there were so many things that you said that I loved. And I'm thinking um, in particular, when you talked like about the commercial, like if a commercial um, triggers you or something, and I don't even know what it was tonight. But I remember it felt like my skin was going to come off if I didn't eat extra food. And so I had this notepad on my phone that I, it's titled in all caps and bold letters, what to do when you're in danger. And I just read that. And the first thing is, it's harder to get abstinent than it is to stay abstinent. And then other beautiful, wise things that I've heard from, from in the rooms from you guys. And, um, you know, I just breathed and I was with my family and it was really embarrassing for me, even though it shouldn't have been, but I told my husband, you know, I'm not feeling good. I'm feeling really triggered. So I'm going to get on a meeting, like at the dinner table, I'm going to put, just listen. And, and there you are. And, you know, there were just so many beautiful things that you shared. And one of the things that was so powerful for me um was I you know I look at you and I think like I think some people do I certainly do like you've always been this size you know I can't imagine you and so what that tells me is that we didn't have the same amount of weight to lose but it's so irrelevant it's all about the feelings like I know when you speak tonight I know I am you and I feel like I'm going to be okay for the next hour. And I don't know why I'm not okay, you know, but I know that I'm going to be okay if I just stay on this meeting. So thank you so much for showing up. Thank you, Lacey. Julie, go ahead. Thank you. Um, Julie D. Recovered Compulsive Overeater. It's weird to say that. It's new for me. Um, but here I am. Um, and yeah, Amy, thank you so much. I really appreciated your fighting through the nerves and delivering like a great message and well organized. Like it's obvious the amount of respect you put into like taking this seriously and like quoting the different passages and tying it all together is fantastic. Um, my, I actually have a question and um, it's not a step one question though, but um, what you were talking about as far as I too have been overweight since I can remember interacting with anyone outside of my family where it became obvious that it wasn't normal, you know, um, like preschool basically on. Um, and I've had moments where I'm think at my height, I was 265, 270, something like that. And I got down to 175 for like a second. And I got this amazing picture taken of myself. And I looked at it, I said, who the F is that? 
you know, like that identity piece that you talked about, um, which I really think ties into more like step six, seven, because it's like abandoning, you know, your prior self. But um, if you could speak to like what that process looked like in recovery, because I assume, and you should correct me if I'm wrong, that, you know, you don't identify as an obese person anymore, you know, that at some point, like that identity shifted or transformed for you. So um, yeah, that's my question. And thank you again. I am, am I okay to go ahead and answer? Well, thank you. Thanks, Julie. Um, actually, I, I, I don't identify as that big anymore, but I still identify. I haven't gotten used to my new body yet <laughs> entirely. Um, I, I don't feel as big as I did, but I still feel sort of in the middle and it surprises me when I go to buy clothes and they're too big and I have to get a you know step down and 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 mostly I de- I identify as a compulsive overeater. So um you know, so I, I always want to keep that in mind, I guess. So so you know, there but for the grace of God go I. So um so that's mostly what it is. And um you know, I've, I've only been at this weight for eh, maybe three months or so. So, um, it'll take me a little while to, to get used to it. But, um, like I said, I, I mostly identify as a compulsive overeater that needs higher power to, to help me through. Thank you. Thanks, Amy. We will now stop the recording for unrecorded questions or shares. Did we stop it?